maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on offering to grab someone a coffee and what that really means. Living in your childhood home and handling your siblings' nostalgia and attachment. Removing someone from your traditional holiday guest list. And ungraciously asking for big favors. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment from a listener on phrases that help and phrases that hurt when discussing infertility. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about how much you as a host have to accommodate someone's allergy. You can listen to your ads-free version of the show with its extra question by downloading it at awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. On your phone, download the Teachable app. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. We're back on mic. We are back. <laughs> I know to our listeners it, it doesn't feel that felt way. felt like, like we've been we gone. Did, we recorded like a month's worth a month ago and now we're back. And why did we do that? Because Train the Trainer was here and we had people training all week and then all the next week. And so we are now complete with our Train the Trainer. <laughs> it is an annual event at Emily Post and it feels like an annual event. It takes a lot of energy. It is a big job. I, I, I found myself divvying my calendar up as pre and post train the trainer in yeah, Vermont. And yeah. I was getting a certain amount of work done and then it all shut off for two weeks. Then all of a sudden I'm back to that second part of the calendar where everything that was, oh, I'll deal with that as soon as train the trainer is over has yeah. reemerged. I know that feeling. Mine came a little earlier. I'm not spending all day teaching the way that Dan, well, on the, the Saturday I do, but I don't spend all day teaching, but I do all the support work around it. And doing that plus then the things that emerge during the weeks. The things I'm not doing. Well, you can't do them. There's no way you could do them. And, and they, they're even projects you're you're not like fingers pies and, you know, that kind of thing. But holy Toledo, because I just feel spun. <laughs> well, I'm ready to pick up the mantle. I know. It's going to be nice to just answer some etiquette questions. <laughs> I agree. And speaking of etiquette questions. Yeah, what are you thinking? You came in with an idea for next week. I did because one of the things I did post-train the trainer was I got onto social media and I looked at our Twitter account and our Facebook account, which I admittedly hadn't looked at in about two weeks. Yeah. And I had a little kind of micro assignment from you to maybe look for a question yeah, there. Yeah, to replace for, yeah. And totally. I liked so many of the questions I saw. I said <laughs> to myself, I'm going to go suggest we do All an of entire them. show where we answer questions that were asked on social media. So, I love it when you do my work for me. So more of this, please. Well, and, <laughs> like, this is easy. <laughs> it was. And thank you to our listeners who have been asking questions on Facebook and on Twitter and the I apologize for the delay in the answers, but you will get them all next week when we record our social media questions episode. So, questions from social media episode, not <laughs> questions not about to social the media. Listeners. <laughs> That's hysterical. But you have a good show for us today. I very much enjoyed this script. Should we get to it? Let's get to it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, remember to put sustaining member in the subject line or somewhere in your question. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. 
Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question I'm tossing to Dan immediately because it has to do with coffee, and he is the coffee man around our office. Coffee for me, coffee for you. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I am part of a wonderful group of moms, sisters, and friends who all often enjoy getting together for playdates or hangouts. We also all enjoy coffee. If one of us has time to stop and get a latte before a get-together, that person will often text the other person or people to ask if they also want something as well. So kind and sweet, right? However, I often feel awkward about the payment part of things, both when I'm the one buying and the one taking the friend up on their offer to get me coffee. The conversation will often go, friend, I'm stopping at Starbucks. Do you want anything or can I pick you up something? Do I just assume that if they ask, can I pick you up something, that they are also offering to pay for whatever I order? I find that not everyone has this expectation as I've sometimes received a Venmo request for $5 after they purchased my coffee, which is fine, but it doesn't seem clear with the original ask. If I am offering to pay, I'll usually say, can I pick you up coffee my treat? But what do I say if I'm not able to treat due to the amount of things they order or the amount of people, etc.? Is there a way to make it clear that I cannot pay this time? Or I only want to pay for coffee and not pastries too? How can we go about asking this well to eliminate the awkwardness but still get the coffee? Sincerely, Coffee Debtor. <laughs> this is a great question. It's a really good question. Coffees add up really fast, particularly when you're talking about the Fancy coffees with foam and steamed milk and flavors, and if you add pastries on that, they could add up really, really fast. Five to ten dollars per person, two people, three people, four people, twenty, thirty, forty dollars for coffee. Very quickly. Definitely something worth considering. First of all, I just want to acknowledge I like the my treat specificity. I like the part of the question where our question asker says, I'm really clear if I'm both offering to pick something up and offering to pay, and I try to make that signal explicit. It's more difficult if you're trying to figure out how to signal that it's not your treat. I think this is oftentimes... Well, I'm sorry. We're kind of laughing on the mic because it's really true. It's so hard. Hey, I'd love to, but you're paying for it. Or I'd love to. I'd be happy to do it if it's a 99 cent coffee or a dollar fifty coffee. But if you're talking about a seven to ten dollar order, then really you should be offering to pay. Because the other side of this etiquette for me is that if the person saying, "Hey, could you pick me up this?" is asking you to pick up something that is more expensive, there's a certain onus on them to offer to pay that. I would think so too. For instance, if you were going to the coffee shop and I piped up and said, oh my gosh, I'd love a hot cocoa and a such and such, I would immediately say, I'll promise I get you back or I'll, we don't really do the whole Venmo-y thing, but like it, it, there's definitely options for letting someone know when they've offered to get you something that you will pay them back for it. And I think this is one of those places where that's really the kinder, nicer, more polite way to go about it because you're not putting the onus on the other person to say, um, by the way, can you give me money for that? <laughs> I could see if the situation had developed where people were used to not paying and it was just assumed or 
even thought of as, well, I do it this time, then you do it that time, and it all evens out or comes out in the wash. Yeah. That if you really didn't want to continue to work that way, that you might actually have to say something. And I think that you could do that. You could say, I picked them up last time and ended up costing $40. I'm... Oh boy, the sample script is eluding me now. <laughs> it's because it's I'd appreciate not fun. it if everyone could chip in. Yeah, I'd almost bring it up as a group thing when the larger group is there. Uh, you could say something like, "Hey, I love that we all pick up coffees for each other, but has anyone else felt like just a little like sometimes either it's it's a bit much or and now we're starting to get to sample script I don't like. <laughs> it's this is why you test out sample scripts. They don't always sound right. It starts to feel weird. I think sometimes when it comes to bigger groups, you can address the whole group and just say, I've noticed we all really like to do coffee. Can we set up a system for how we're going to handle paying each other back or that kind of thing? Because this group operates in different ways. Sometimes it's the whole group. Sometimes it's just a couple people. Sometimes it's just one-on-one. Obviously, for the one-on-one, that's a little easier to manage. But it starts to create a nice back and forth. My friend Jenny and I, just last night, we know we're going to be watching a lot of evening football together over the course of the rest of the season. And so she just said, I'll get this one. You get the next one. I was like, awesome, because that means there'll be a next time. That's really nice. And that's the one-on-one. But for the group, I think it's okay to say, hey, I've noticed this happening. Do we want to set something up so that this is really easy and we know what to expect from each other? Does Um, that feel good? Does it it feel reasonable? It does. On the third try, I think we're actually starting to get to that sample script that might work. As you were talking, I was also thinking about the Venmo that came up in the question. And it's not something that is used a lot in Burlington, Vermont, but maybe it's growing. Other people use it. We're just not hip. (laughs) It might be a great way to have this discussion, to launch it. Hey, I got a Venmo request last time. Does everybody use Venmo? Would that be an easy way for me to get people receipts or whatever the language is that that totally the hip venmo crowd has (laughs) i actually think that's not a bad way to to have that conversation because you're talking practicalities you're saying does does this work for people i got one of these and i'd be happy to use it and now you're introducing solutions and offering suggestions as well as bringing up something that was uncomfortable I would also say for this group conversation, you might want to nip the question of whether the pastry extension is appropriate or not and say, you know, do we like pastries? Is this something we're going to do every time? Do people want it to be a part of the order? Again, you invite the question, even if you know your own personal answer to it, just so that you can start hearing the group. This is kind of a collective experience, it sounds like at times. And so it is important to invite the question, and then you can always state your opinion in it. I'd rather we just kept it to coffee, but maybe like once a month we do like a pastry run and do pastries as a group. That'd be great. This is a deliciously complicated social etiquette. Dude, I'm so hungry just talking. <laughs> I want to give a couple of very simple solutions before we wrap this answer up. Let's and hear them. One is that you don't need to offer to pick up coffee. If it becomes awkward or difficult over time, you can just step back from that little by little. And it doesn't need to be a big declaration. It doesn't need to be because I've been treated badly. You just don't necessarily need to offer. Just so that you all know out there listening audience, my cousin Daniel Posenning is the king of saying, nah, I'd rather not grab it this time. And it actually works. Like, it, just so you know, it actually works. And he's laughing behind the mic, but it really does work. So I, I, I'd say you are experienced at this. And it's an, it is an okay boundary to put up. I, I'm just going to go grab my soup and come back. I'm not planning to stop anywhere else is a reasonable thing to say. I'm keeping my lunch break short today. Whatever whatever your version of I that like is. I like how those just totally turned into the lines you use in the office. All right, back to coffee, back to coffee. You had some other strategies too. The one other thought I had yeah. was that you can be sure that you offer to pay for your own when other people do the pickup so that you feel really comfortable having the discussion with other people about them paying you back. I think that if you start to establish that as a standard other people might notice but it'll also put you in a place of feeling really good about bringing the topic up and discussing it however you choose to discuss it moving forward it's that wonderful place of being aware and showing that awareness through repeated consistent action that demonstrates it and i think that's the kind of thing that people pick up on over time and it's really nice your friends are going to love you 
coffee debtor, don't feel so bad about coffee debts, whether you owe them or they're owed to you. We hope this answer helps just a little bit. Even so, I bet my bottom butt the coffee break is costing us at least $30,000 a year. What? That's right, $30,000. Well, now, there's more to this than meets the eye. Mm, you can say that again, a lot more. Our next question is titled, Home Not Sweet Home. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for your promotion of kindness and civility in this hectic world. I'm an ardent fan of the podcast and would be eager to hear your view on my quandary. The background. For many years, my husband and I have lived with my parents in the family home where I grew up. We raised our children here and valued the many benefits of a three-generation lifestyle. The children are now grown. My dad has passed on. And over the years, we've taken on more and more of the responsibilities of home maintenance. This suits my mom as she wishes to stay here, but is unable to manage all the yard work and general upkeep. And we have a financial agreement that we revisit and discuss annually to ensure it is still agreeable to all. Legally, she and I co-own the house, but in decor and organizational preferences, we almost always defer to her without discussion, out of long-standing habit and general gratitude for her many kindnesses. The issue. Our siblings have long treated the family homestead with a certain air of entitlement, as one does in one's childhood home. They will enter without invitation, help themselves to a beverage, and know they can always stay in the guest room if they wish. This is all fine and part of being a close family. However, in recent years, as my mom is less able to shop and cook for a crowd, a little advance notice on the longer holiday visits would be appreciated. Also, I notice small behaviors that I know my professional and well-traveled sisters would never dream of imposing on friends they visit in other cities. Two siblings have made it a point to let me know they don't feel it's necessary to discuss timing of visits and simply email the itinerary confirmation so I know when to collect them at the airport. Uh. As I work from home, this is inconvenient at best. But the real problem, of course, is the implication that I don't deserve the consideration they'd offer any other host. One sibling has improved to the point where she now asks before booking a flight, which I really appreciate. We recently coordinated so that she could visit while I was away on business, providing good company and support to my mom during my absence. While I was gone, she made sure my mom got to medical appointments and had good meals, etc., also, while here, she did some decluttering and discarded several of my possessions. They may have appeared to be cluttered, but I needed them for two projects and am now unable to proceed. She also spoke to my husband about cleaning out the garage and shed, as she felt our organization in those areas is subpar. She's right, but mm. all common living areas are neat and tidy. So sorry for the long question, but I'm feeling as if these visits have taken on an air of being audited. We are happy to discuss our mom's well-being and any offers to assist with her growing needs, but I feel we're being subject to a deeper and one-sided scrutiny. When a sibling visits once or twice a year, I wish they would relax and enjoy the time rather than rush to judgment. Can you please tell me, am I being overly sensitive? Thank you, thank you, thank you in advance. Anonymous, you you are very considerate to be accommodating, um, even I think what you have now. It sounds like this is really tough. The way that it's connected to childhood and how everyone has a right to love their childhood home and want to come home to it if it's still a part of the family. Um, I think it's very generous given the fact that our listener has lived there, is actually now a co-owner of the house. I can only imagine that those are some tricky waters to navigate when, uh, you know, you've got multiple siblings they do like coming home, but they don't live there. It's, you know, homes are often assets and oftentimes they don't end up being shared in the end. Either one person gets the home and buys out the others or it's sold and it's divvied up among. So I already think it's very uh, impressive and good that, you know, you have the co-ownership and this has been something that has been discussed. I love the fact that each year you and your mom and um, your partner revisit this. And I think it's really important and amazing that you've done that. I also think it's probably time to talk to mom about this and how this is starting to impact you. The fact that you've had two projects that now can't move forward because someone came and decluttered things, I find that concerning enough to speak up about. I think we're in what we think of as serious territory now. Um, and so you've already got two siblings who have demonstrated that they are not willing to respect your wishes when you've brought up the idea that, hi, I should just have a heads up and no, I'm not always going to be able to pick you up from the airport. The fact that you were then kind of told, no, this is how it's going to happen, I find that to be breach enough that I would I would be looking to the generation up to step in and say, like, can I get some help on this? Because
because I tried the the direct approach once and it didn't work. And I think that holidays, holidays were mentioned. And I would say that you can prep for the holidays by being proactive and asking people if they're planning on coming. I agree that it would be much nicer if your siblings actually called and asked whether they are coming for the holidays or what the plans are for the holidays. But I think that you could jump ahead of that particular one. The other types of visits throughout the year, those it is going to be harder if they just don't go with your request. I mean, what do you do in that type of situation? It's it's why I call for mom to kind of come down and say, hey, guys, this is the way things have worked in this house. And when you do come, we're so excited to have you and be back in your childhood homes. And it's amazing to have you home with me. But we really need to be respectful of, let's name her Katie, Katie's things. And that's going to be important. That mom voice could be a huge help in helping to establish your standing in this situation, particularly around some of those larger issues that that deal with that sense of entitlement, that emotional familiarity with the home and the people who live there. And it can be difficult to transition into those more adult roles and relationships, particularly with siblings who you've known so long and been so close to. It can work in really positive ways. It can also make it really difficult to change patterns that have started to establish over time. That was the thing that was really jumping out at me because like you, Lizzie, I was finding myself wanting to separate some of those larger issues from the particulars of someone threw away some of my stuff right? or someone just shows up and there's an expectation that I'm there to pick them up with no notice. Yeah. And it can be hard, I think, to separate those bigger relationship issues from those particular instances of incivility. Mm-hmm. But I think the more you can address those – and I don't want to call them smaller issues, but they're they're sort of more specific issues without letting the, the larger feelings creep in, I think the easier it's going to be to establish – what I think are important boundaries for you about the place that you live and the relationships that you have. So you just show up. It's okay to say, I, I can't come pick you up right now. I'm in the middle of something. Mm-hmm. Or that, that there's just not enough notice. I'm, I'm happy to text you the number of my favorite local cab company so that you yeah. can get home. I, I can help you to the degree that I can with a little more notice or a little more planning. I'd love to pick you up next time. I think is a reasonable thing to say. If someone throws away your stuff, I think it's okay to raise it with them and say, I appreciate your chipping in and helping. I particularly appreciated your helping mom with her appointments and her meals. But it was really problematic for me that you threw away stuff that I was I was needing. And if you want to offer to have a discussion about clutter mm-hmm. in the sheds or main rooms, you could go there. But I think you could even keep it just focused on that particular thing because that that's – you don't want that little thing to start to – creep into the longer relationship questions you have with your siblings. You also asked at the end of this, are you being overly sensitive in terms of your feeling about being almost audited by your siblings? Mm -hmm. And I don't think so. I think that oftentimes you can get a sense for something like that and, and listening to that little voice that says, you know, there's this growing feeling among my siblings that I'm perceiving or picking up on. I think sometimes it's not necessarily true, but I think other times it's important to listen to those voices because oftentimes there's a, a a larger discussion that's happening in the subtext and being aware of what that subtext is I think is important for addressing it intelligently. So I, I wouldn't question myself too much. I think it's wise to ask yourself, is this real or is this just my own projection on it? But I, I do think you want to listen to that little voice and pay attention to it also. I go a, a little bit the different direction on that one because the judgment part of it, I think we start to get so into assuming the perspective of the other person if we haven't actually talked about it yet. And so I'm going to both counter my assuming warning with an assumption, which is make it a a positive assumption that what's going on here isn't that. And this is, again, it's an assumption that I'm suggesting you're going to make right now. Rather than assume the negative side of it, which is that they think you live a messy, cluttered life, instead try to assume They're coming home to what they still think of as their home, even though this has been my home and mom's home for decades now. Like, we've raised children. They've grown up and moved out at this point. 
And I think it can just be so hard for people when that childhood home still exists. I mean, your childhood home still exists. My childhood home still exists. I, I think my parents have actually done a really good job over the years of, of telling us kids it's their home. You know what I mean? But the coming home and seeing stuff everywhere, it might just be harder for your siblings to really imagine that as your home, not their home. And therefore, there is this like, I need to help or I should be doing something or I can do something. Um, a lot of people feel like these types of projects make them feel like they did something. And when you really only need them to make sure mom gets to her appointments and do this and that and the other thing, it's like they go the step further. It's like having someone help in a way you really don't want them to. But try not to just immediately assume that it's a judgment on you and how you live because there's this extra little nugget of information that they are constantly trying to process, which is, this was my childhood home. My mom is living here. And Without you guys there and seeing how you help out and and what you do for mom, I think it could be really easy to kind of like come in, take charge, do stuff and feel like you've contributed to your family. And okay, I can go home knowing I'm a good daughter or son, you know, I hear that. And it it makes me think also about having a discussion with the siblings. We talked about talking with mom. I also think that talking with your siblings, anytime a relationship's gotten to a point where you're starting to feel emotional about it or conflicted about it or like you're starting to have to guess about someone else's intentions, whether you're assuming one thing or another, that my mother would jump in and say it's time for a when you I feel statement. (laughs) Totally. Start to clarify what's going on by talking clearly about how you feel and how you feel in response to what other people are doing. So it doesn't need to be an accusation. It doesn't need to be I want this from you or I want that from you or I want you to stop this or that. But when you do this, it makes me feel like this. And that might be a framework for letting your siblings know how what they're doing is impacting you, how it's starting to affect in both the immediate and the long term your relationship with them. And that might be enough information for them to make a little correction or it might offer the suggestion for them to share with you how they're feeling and Opening up those lines of communication is going to be really helpful here. Absolutely. So there you have it, a few different options, and we say tackle this one on all fronts. Tackle it with mom if the matriarch of the family can be helpful. Tackle it directly with your siblings. And also feel free to be communicative both in the moment and ahead of time. Good luck. My, that was fun, wasn't it? Doing things together is fun. It can be in your family, too, when everyone does his regular job and helps out by doing extra work, then things go better for the whole family. Our next question is about changing traditions. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, help! How does one undo holiday traditions without causing offense? For several years, we have invited two families who have no family locally over for Thanksgiving. I love hosting until last year. One-on-one with these families, all is well and our friendships are solid. Last year, however, one of the families, Family A, was rather rude to the other family, Family B. After years of all being together, Family A was rude about not knowing Family B's names or even trying to get to know them, and was argumentative about trivial issues even with me. It was awkward, uncomfortable, and very embarrassing for me as a hostess, and I found myself trying to smooth the water instead of being able to sit and relax eating the meal that I spend all day cooking. I was so upset that I couldn't bring myself to talk to friend A for a few months and vowed this year I would only invite family B. I realize family A really doesn't mix well with family B. But how do I now extricate myself out of this expected and assumed tradition that family A will spend Thanksgiving with us? There is the root of just coming out with it and about how horrible last year was for me, but I am not wanting to be that brutally honest. Our sons are best friends. I can't invite just family B over. That would be an obvious snub to family A. I don't want to hide out at a restaurant on one of my favorite holidays of the year to avoid having to deal with the situation. I feel very stuck. 
Thanks, Tanya. Well, Tanya, I hope you don't feel too stuck because there is a way out. And you're wise to think about how you change a tradition once it's been established. This is one of my mother, Cindy Sennings, favorite pieces of advice when she's talking to parents about kids and children's etiquette. She says, be careful about changing traditions. Kids get used to certain things and they start to really depend on them. And the little kid in all of us gets used to things and starts to depend on it. The trick to changing traditions is to do it ahead of time, to let people know if there's a change coming. That's the broad answer about changing traditions. In this one, I I would ask myself how firmly established the tradition is that you have family A. It sounds to me like this behavior is so egregious that you are well within your hosting prerogative to not invite this family back again and that that would be the simplest solution, that you really are allowed as a hostess to choose what makes for a good affair. And one of the things that you think about as a host or a hostess is who's going to mix well together. And if people don't mix well together, inviting them to the same party or occasion isn't recommended. In fact, it's your job as a host to pay attention to that and not do it. So you're well within good etiquette to make that choice. If it's something that's really going to be noticed, if you think they're going to be hurt feelings, you can let someone know ahead of time that that's not going to happen and that's going to not guarantee that feelings aren't hurt, but it's going to do the least amount of damage to the relationship. If you're looking to do repair on your relationship with family A, if you sense that there may be some hurt feelings or are pretty sure that there are, you just do that work. Invite them to do something some other time and start to carve out that time to build that relationship in the way you would any relationship or rebuild that relationship the way you would any other relationship. If their behavior is indicative of a change that's occurred in the way they treat or deal with you as well as family B, and and you were pretty clear about the types of things you described in your question, there's no rule that says you have to stay friends with people either, that you take care, you don't need to be hurtful in the way you break up. But it's also true that you get to make decisions about who you associate with. And if people are really disagreeable and introduce conflict in your life, it's okay to allow both parties to move on. It can be really hard and daunting to think about doing that, and it is uncomfortable. They're they're not going to like it. People don't like hearing that their behavior upset other people. In your own home especially, it can be really hard to be made to feel uncomfortable and to feel like you were taken advantage of and your generosity was taken advantage of. And what always frustrates me is that when you start to prepare yourself to let someone know that that's what has happened – Dan's right. There's no guarantee that they're going to react well to it. And it can be really hard to steal yourself for that, to to feel prepared to handle that. Because what you're trying to do is let someone know that you were hurt by something. And often all that ends up happening, if it doesn't go well, is that you just feel even worse about everything. This has already happened, though. You are allowed to change your MO year to year. And so I think that it's I would hope that in the end you could really think about the kind of holiday you want to spend with your family and choose for that. The one suggestion that I I do have is that maybe don't invite either family to the actual holiday, but do a leftovers party the next day. You can then choose which family you invite to that particular gathering, but that's a different tradition. It's something else. It's not on the actual day. I feel bad for family B because I think it sounds like they've been enjoying this tradition. I get very confused, though. How has this been going on for years and then all of a sudden family A doesn't know family B's names and is acting odd? and th- Antagonistic. It's, like, it's very, very strange. Very, very strange after years of doing this together. And You could take a shot. Yeah. <laughs> give, them, give them a chance to fix it. I liked your thought about maybe really breaking up the tradition also that by not inviting family B, you might offer less offense Mm -hmm. to family A. If if the whole event really isn't happening the way it used to, it might soften the blow, mitigate that bad feeling a little bit. You don't have to do it, but it's definitely a good idea sort of thinking about the politics of the situation in some ways to have that option in mind if that's not too difficult and I like the idea of a leftovers party with Family B if you really want to to stay connected and really keep them tied to that holiday in a way that has some meaning or significance for you. 
I am going to trust based on the thought behind this question that you don't need to worry about brutal honesty too, too much. You are going to find (laughs) that kind and benevolent truth um, whatever way you decide to proceed. And I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving this year. And look, this dispute was settled fairly. And so Jerry and Eddie are still good friends just as they always were. It's worthwhile to know many ways to settle disputes. Our next question is titled, Demanding Favors. Dear Dan and Lizzie, first I have to say how much I love your podcast. My sister introduced me to it, and my life and behavior have been changed for the better. I ran into an etiquette conundrum this week while out to dinner with my friends Lauren and Amanda. Lauren works for a professional sports franchise and is able to get free tickets to almost every game her team plays and has been generous in the past about offering them to her friends. During the evening, Amanda told us that her boyfriend's friend got engaged and then said, so I need four tickets to a game for an engagement present for them. After the social part of our evening was over, Lauren and I reconnected to discuss this. We both felt there was a certain ick factor to this ask, but neither of us knew what to say then or even now. Lauren is also a podcast listener, and she agreed that we should reach out and see if you had any thoughts to share. Are we being too sensitive or nitpicking her wording? How do you respond to someone demanding a favor? or to a friend that is making a request that seems over the line. If it changes the context at all, Amanda makes significantly more money than either of us, and we were having dinner before going to a different professional sports team game for free that Lauren had secured tickets to through her work contacts. Thank you so much for the work that you do and for any help that you can give us, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. It's totally not appropriate at all. This is downright assumptive. This is like, this is not good etiquette. Bad. <laughs> this is bad. How matters? It's there is an ick factor to this. This is one where if I if I was in Lauren's shoes, I would say something like, "I'm sorry, I can't make four tickets for uh, work for that game." That I would just straight up refuse the request. You know, no, I'm sorry, that's that one's not going to be possible. And I would suggest that in the future, Lauren call up these friends or when she's one-on-one with them, have the discussion that spells out a bit more clearly what's possible with this very generous perk that she gets from her job and what's not. And I would say, you know, you can say things like, I'm totally happy to get us tickets when we all go, or if I'm not around, I could get you and a ticket, but I don't feel as comfortable. And the purpose of it really isn't for me to be giving tickets it's two friends for their friends to then have for other uses, things like that, that it really should be either me directly connected to the person or, you know, um, me with the person. And I think that could help explain benefits are really fabulous. And especially when they're happening on a regular basis, it can start to feel like that's just a done deal in the bag. Totally fine. Of course, I could lean on that friend for that favor. But that isn't always the case. And it's okay as the friend who's doling out these favors to set the boundaries. And I think Lauren would would do well to have that conversation with a few friends so that it's clear to everybody and this doesn't pop up in the future with someone. There's a certain integrity to that level of professionalism in terms of how you treat a, a fringe benefit or a perk that comes with a job. And Free tickets to games or when I think about people that work for or with celebrities. Oh, could you introduce me? I'd love to go to that party. And yeah, you could and you could probably invite them to that party. But the purpose of your job isn't to bring people to meet this person, introduce them or manage their social calendar. That, that There's a, a subtle job that goes with managing the perks and benefits that come along with certain professions well and responsibly. And I think that that goes even beyond that ick factor to yeah. a certain amount of, 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 of integrity as a professional. Yeah. I, I also really feel that ick factor. It might be entirely possible that these tickets are very gettable. This is a very doable favor. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but having it just assumed that you're going to do it makes it impossible to feel good about it whether you do it or not. If you say yes, you feel bad and take advantage of it. You feel no, you feel awkward about having said no just because of the way you were asked. It, it's so unfortunate that it came across that way and that it was done that way. I I couldn't help. I jumped in. I interrupted my cousin Lizzie with the the how matters comment at the start of this answer. Happy to have you interrupt. That was great. (laughs) It's, It's a theme. It's a concept that we really invest in at the Emily Post Institute, that it's not just what you do, but how you do it matters. And just whether or not you're assuming that favor is going to be done really impacts the way people feel about it. I want to give my cousin 
a certain amount of credit here. She's an amazing asker. She is really good at asking people for things, but doing it in a way that makes people feel good about saying yes. It's amazing the things that people say yes to Lizzie Post about. (laughs) She is also very good at taking no. And I think that's part of the etiquette of asking for a favor or asking for a little something from someone that you're really fully prepared and ready to accept any answer. And that that mental space, that emotional space, I think is part of what makes that ask land well. Mm-hmm. Melissa, thank you for this question. I hope this answer helps Lauren feel good about whatever she decides to do. And hopefully it might help anybody else out there who's thinking about an ask in the future deliver that ask in a way that people can feel good about hearing it. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, and feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. And sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining members somewhere in your question. You can also leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette in your post so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. We received a few suggestions for our roommate in episode 212, who had to let their roommate know that the communal dish cooked was basically inedible. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'm still listening to your podcast, and I'm just cringing at the thought of trying to critique a roommate's cooking. I loved your suggestions, and as you were making them, I thought of a cookbook that a friend recommended to me, which I really found helpful. It's called How to Cook Everything by Mark Bittman. I find that the book details the basics that most recipes skip because they assume everyone already knows those steps. For example, I had no idea you had to salt eggplant slices and allow them to brine to bring out the flavor. Instead, I wondered why my eggplant didn't have the flavor that I had come to know when others made it. I just looked the book up online, and there is another version of the book called How to Cook Everything, The Basics. Until I married recently, I was the type that usually just reheated food and ate it if I cooked it at all. So I was a little nervous about making meals for my husband and his daughter. So as far as the conversation, it can certainly be awkward. As I'm expanding my repertoire, I'm learning that our favorite recipes improve each time I make them. When we sit down to eat, I sometimes comment about what I did differently and whether it made it better or worse. I've learned my husband is uncomfortable with this as he perceives that I'm criticizing myself where I see it as collaborative critique. I've always appreciated an honest critique. All of this might help to see what kind of cues she might get from her roommate. Hope that helps. Happy cooking, Tammy. Tammy, thanks for the feedback. I love the idea of a basics cookbook that covers the thing that other cookbooks assume you already know. know. Jessica continued on this theme. Dear Dan and Lizzie, thank you for your entertaining show and advice that is always considerate, respectful, and honest. As a fellow foodie, I have two cookbook suggestions that might help your listener from episode 212. Because you don't just need recipes, you need foolproof recipes. The recipes in these books have been tested extensively, and the books explain the science behind them. I find that understanding why a recipe works makes me a better cook. These are also books that foodies love, and your listener could say, I just found this new cookbook that I love. Want to read it too? First, I recommend The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science, by Kenji Lopez-Alt. He also has recipes and explanations online at the Serious Eats website. Second, America's Test Kitchen, also known as Cooks Illustrated, has many books, but you can't go wrong with The New Best Recipe. They also have television shows on PBS with episodes available on their website. I hope these help because crunchy rice is just no fun. (laughs) No. All the best, Jessica. Jessica, thanks so much for those suggestions as well. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript comes from a piece of feedback that we received and thought deserved a little more attention than our feedback section usually allows for. I thought so. We're going to return to the Jen Dahl New York Times piece next week. But we had this piece from a longtime listener, Jessica, and she has written in about um, something that I think a lot of people are going to appreciate. So I'm just going to read her email to us, and then Dan and I are going to discuss it. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a longtime listener and love the podcast. I still get a little thrill every time I hear the intro saying the podcast is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. It's so fun to see everything you've accomplished since the show began. I've got something on my mind that isn't really a question, more of a topic that I'm hoping you'd be willing to share with your audience. My husband and I are finally expecting our first baby. After over a year of struggling with infertility issues, which is nothing compared to what some people go through, we are, of course, incredibly thrilled and had been fairly open with our struggles to friends and family, so many people share our excitement as well. However, along the way, I've encountered a few things that I'm hoping you'll be willing to share about what not to do or say to a woman or a couple who is struggling to conceive. Two common phrases in particular come to mind. The first is, God has a plan, or it's God's plan. Infertility can be incredibly stressful, emotional, and sad. Although people absolutely mean well by saying this, what it can feel like is that the plan is for you to be suffering, which is not a good feeling. A better phrase that can still incorporate spirituality is, I'll be praying for you, or... I'm sorry this is such a hard journey, but hopefully it will get easier soon. I'm going to read those again just so you can hear. I'll be praying for you, or I'm sorry this is such a hard journey, but hopefully it will get easier soon. The second phrase is, just relax and it will happen. This one really stings too. If a person has never been through infertility, they may not realize the level of stress and sheer planning that goes into all of the doctor's appointments, specialist appointments, testing, ultrasounds, medications, injections, etc. For some people, just relaxing or not planning is simply not the way their body will successfully allow them to have a child, and implying such can make you feel even more like your body is broken. Why can't you just relax? What's wrong with you? Etc. A better phrase that helped me was, I'm so sorry you're going through this. It must be very stressful, but you're doing a great job handling it. Again, I'm going to read it to you again. A better phrase that helped me was, I'm so sorry you're going through this. It must be very stressful, but you're doing a great job handling it. I know this is a very sensitive topic that can be difficult to discuss, but having walked our own path through infertility has opened the door to show me just how many people are struggling with similar issues, as well as just how many well-meaning people may not know what to say, and thus resort to the two above statements that, while well-meaning, can be very hurtful when you are in the thick of things. Thank you for considering this topic. I hope that the Emily Post Institute can offer some guidance somewhere as the topic of infertility unfortunately becomes more and more common in people's lives. Happy fall and thanks for a great show, Jessica Chamberlain. Jessica, congratulations! That's like the first thing I want to say is congratulations, but thank you. Thank you for these wonderful words because it is so hard when you see someone in life that you love who wants something, be it a relationship, a particular type of job, a baby, and no matter what, they just don't seem to be getting there with it. And it might be years of not getting there with it. And trying to tell them that it's the plan or that this is fate or, you know, something, oftentimes those are meant to be encouraging that that thing you want is going to come in just the way that it should for you. And yet exactly what Jessica has illustrated here is often how it feels to the person receiving it is, I'm damaged. I'm supposed to struggle with this. You know, other people do this without even trying, especially in this in the world of fertility. And here I can't. What do you mean that that's a plan? That's a plan for that to work out that way for me? Are you for real? 
And so I really, really appreciated getting to broach this subject, and especially from the, the fresh perspective of someone who's just gone through it. I also really appreciated those sample scripts. I know, right? Jessica asked us to share some guidance. I'm really happy to be sharing Jessica's guidance with our audience because I think that, as I heard you repeating those sample scripts twice, they're excellent. And that specificity in terms of the advice and the approach is is a really important part of giving people guidance about better ways to do this, not just saying, oh, this is terrible when this happens. And it reminded me very much of a section that's in our 19th edition of Emily Post Etiquette that's about how you respond when someone has died or has passed away. And there's sample language, things people often say and the better thing to say. And they often sound very similar to to Jessica's sample scripts of the common mistakes people make and the way you can still express that sentiment, which is meant to be a supportive, positive sentiment, but to actually say it in a way that it can be heard and received. Jessica, thank you so much for giving us both the the subject matter and the sample scripts. We really appreciate it, and we appreciate you as a long-time listener. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we have, and I quote, a big gigantic salute. I have to say, this is no tearjerker, but it may be my favorite salute ever. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have a salute for you. I am a 13-year-old girl and the youngest of three sisters. My salute is for my older sister, Eliana. We have recently moved into a new home and have had to share a room. I am a messy person and know that this can be irritating to her, who is neat and tidy. She often overlooks the mess and is gracious towards me. Many times I have left the house for a while and come back to a perfectly clean room. She has done this several times, and it has caused me to think about my rude behavior and how I can be a better roommate and sister. Her gentle, gracious way of handling this issue has helped me to work on keeping my things picked up and has been good for my personal growth. Thank you, sis, for your patience with me. You are awesome. P.S. My sister and I love the show. Liberty. I think that is just the sweetest. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, Dan is at Daniel underscore post. And I am at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. And we do need your help. So please visit awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by the amazing Chris Albertine. Thank you, Chris. <laughs>